The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A reading from Isaiah chapter 57, verses 1 through 2 and 13 through 21. A righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And it shall be said, under the heading of comfort for the contrite, it says, And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits an eternity from whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Because of the inequity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and I was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace, to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is the word of the Lord. Glad to be with y'all this morning. My name is Richie Sessions, um, and I am the RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt University. I think I've preached here at least once before uh, when we were in that direction. We were facing a... I like this a lot better. Uh, this is great feng shui uh, vibe going on. That's probably not a biblical thing to say. I'm scratch what I just said. Uh, I don't know if that's Christian. Um, so... Excited, Russ, I'm so excited for y'all. I don't know where you, where you went, Russ and Lisa. Man, I'm so excited. We're all so excited for y'all. And Theo, and it's very appropriate, just God's timing in this passage, because of how much just you want to be with Theo, is how much our Father, our God, wants to be with us, infinitely more. And so the heart of the Ramses is the heart of God. And uh, I want you to just realize that in God's providence, that's one of the things that he wants you to feel and experience uh, is his pursuing heart to revive us. 
It's used twice in that, that part of the verse in verse 15. is really what we're going to be focusing on. We'll reference the other parts, but really focusing on, on Isaiah 57, 15. That the Lord dwells in two places. In the highest heaven, he inhabits eternity. In other words, he stands outside of space, time, and history in a sense. In the beginning was God, right? But he also dwells. He also dwells, wants to dwell, just like the Ramses do with Theo. He dwells with the lowly and the brokenhearted. Two places he dwells. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite or the crushed or those who are waving the white flag. Just, I can't do it anymore. And I know, uh, it's almost like Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. If you've admitted that you can't put yourself back together again, that's who you are. That's where God dwells. And so that's what we're going to look at. That's the place of revival. That's the place of revival. Revival is at the root. Revival, and I love the word revival. It's a powerful word, revival. The word revival means to bring back into existence health and life. To bring something back to flourishing. That was almost dead to revive it. And I got to see this firsthand uh, this summer. We had been out of town for a number of weeks. My wife or someone had given us, said they had given us or she had bought some impatience, right? Impatience. And just the name of the flower is so tender, right? <laughs> impatient. Like I'm almost not a thing, right? It was impatience. And we left. We went out of town. And these, we came back and the impatience were dead. I just remember looking at them and going, like, there's another dead thing in my yard. But it was still in the little case, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm probably going to be asked to throw those away. Because they were just brown and dead and dry. It's over. Ball game on the impatience. But it rained that afternoon. And I thought, surely those were dead. It rained that afternoon, and the next morning, they looked brand new. Because the water had gotten down into the root and they were verdant and lush and green. If that's where you are today, you feel like those impatience. Maybe you are impatient right now. But if you're in that place where you feel like, or you've ever known that place, of being dry and feeling like you're almost gone, I can't keep going. Maybe even silently, secretly, privately, the Lord wants to meet you, not in your strength, but in the root and the dry place. So let's look at that today. Let's look at what revival, revival is at the root. And so we'll look at two points, uh, and then a so what. That's how I do my sermons. The first one is this, the spirit of the lowly. Who are the lowly and the contrite? Who are those people? Who are those people Today, what does, it mean to be, what does it mean to be lowly and contrite? So lowly is the first one. And the second one is we will look at the God of the lowly. So let's look at lowly people first. And then second, the lowly God. And that sound, it's interesting to say lowly God. It sounds almost wrong, but it's not. 
He likes that title. The lowly people and the lowly God, and so what? Let's go. The lowly people, who are they? The NIV, or I can't remember which translation says they're crushed. Crushed. And that really is a description of God's people. If you looked in verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 57, it's a description of it called the righteous. That, is not, that it means they're, doesn't mean they're self-righteous, but it means the people who are trusting in God's grace and mercy, his chesed, his loving kindness. Anytime you see steadfast love in the Old Testament, it's a great Hebrew word, chesed. You can say it in your throat. It's a wonderful word. Chesed is God's loving kindness. The people who are trusting that, those are the righteous. Not because they're good, because they just trust God's grace. And they're getting beat up. They're getting, it says the righteous, they've looked upon the righteous and they've been crushed. They've been taken away. They've been forgotten. It doesn't look like any, it looks like it's over. It looks like God's promises are done. And those people who are trusted in God, it looks like it's done. And so they're crushed by life. The people who have almost given up who are tired and weary, confused. And so I want you to think about what that would look like for us. Who are the lowly, the lowly people? Physically lowly. In other words, God's a God of body and soul, but physically lowly. Being in ministry for 15 years. Experiencing my own frailty as I go into my 40s and my body's not doing what it used to do. Suffering physically, fatigued, sore, aching. Some of you have chronic pain. Some of you have chronic problems. Physically lowly, hungry, thirsty, people with disabilities, with disease. People in the ancient world were seen as cursed if they had physical problems. If they had chronic problems. Think about right now, maybe that's you. Like you have, you're physically lowly. And like you've gone to doctor after doctor and they still don't know what to tell you. Maybe things like migraines or back problems. You don't, you don't think that's not spiritual. That's not a spiritual thing. Absolutely is. It affects you so spiritually. It is so defeating to have a, a constant physical problem. It affects us so profoundly when we don't know what's wrong with our bodies. That's part of being lowly. Emotionally. How about just physically and emotionally? And these things are so complex and so intertwined. Lonely. Depressed. Ashamed. And the problem with shame is you can't really pinpoint it. You just know that you feel ashamed all the time. And you can really feel it when you're in public, when you're a people. You feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah, that psychologists say that we even carry that shame into our bodies limbically. It's not even conscious. You just feel shame. You hate the way you look. You're lowly because you hate the way you look. You're lowly because you hate yourself. You cuss yourself. Some of you say things to yourself that you would never dream of saying to anyone else. In the mirror, filled with rage, maybe. Rage about things that you can't even put a finger on. People who struggle with their tempers, those who can't control their impulses. That's lowly. Those who think they've gone crazy. People with horrible thoughts. 
People with blasphemous thoughts. People with outrageous thoughts. It almost feel like they've been injected into your mind. You ever struggle with something like thoughts, like the last thing you would ever confess or ever tell anyone is sometimes the things that go into your mind. And being in ministry, talking to people, and just being a broken person. Think about the things that you think about. How that affects you. Makes you lowly. People with obsessive, compulsive thoughts. Enslaved to their rituals. They live out with such private shame because no one would understand how bizarre some of these rituals that we carry out and why we do some of these things. Those who are wearied by fear of the future may be even paralyzed by the what-if scenarios. Richie, these aren't the lowly people. I thought this was more spiritual. This is as real as it gets. Is Is God connecting with you on any of these things? Are you a catastrophic thinker? In other words, when you think of your fear, you go to the worst case scenario, right? You go straight from A to Z, right? Boom, this is what's going to happen. If I have struggles in my marriage or I have struggles in my family, this is going to happen. And how hard it is for you, but how hard it is for the person you're married to. Those people who are afraid of their past, finding them out. How about this? The bullied. People who have been bullied for their looks, for their clothes and the clothes that they couldn't afford growing up. For the way that they're bullied because of the way they talk and the way they act. Bullied because they had a stutter. And every day is a siege. And that's why junior high is so hard because people are so mean. Lowly. There's no discrimination towards age for lowliness. The kids that stare at their shoes in class because they don't want to be made fun of. Those people who have been abused, sexually violated. Those people who have been hurt by the people who were supposed to love them the most. And the memory of it bleeds into every page of your life. The suicidal. The despairing. Who can barely keep going. The people who have attempted suicide. The list goes on and on, addictions and prisoners and patients and unwanted babies and unwanted spouses and dreams dashed to pieces. People that feel like they're strays, people in the basement of life. And this isn't an Enneagram type. You know, just because like, oh, that's a certain Enneagram. No, no, no. This is what it means to be human being in a world that, that is broken. It's what it means to be in it. And I know there are ups and downs in life, but, it's, but, but there are moments in your life where you are confronted with your own frailty and how finite you are in this world. And you are contrite with the lowliness. This is the difference. You are guilty. You are both the perpetrator and you have been perpetrated against and you are contrite about how much life has gotten to you Psalm 51 a broken and crushed spirit you will not despise oh Lord I can't I can't do this that's where God lives that's it now do you see why there's so little revival in our lives 
is the last place that you want to go and that we want to go is down to the root. It's like Luke chapter 18. Jesus will tell stories like this over and over again. He would tell the stories about this. It said, Jesus looked out at the crowd and some of them who were trusting in their own righteousness. That is, their own flourishing, their own power. The people that, that Isaiah is railing against. Those people who are so confident in their own ability. Who are fooling everyone except God. He, he said he looks and he tells them a story about a Pharisee who went up to pray. And he prayed and he thanked God that he was so great. He thanked God that he was so triumphant. He thanked God he was so moral and how blessed he was that he wasn't one of the lowly people down in the basement. How thankful he was to God. How glad he was that he didn't really need grace. And then Jesus said, but there was another man over in the corner. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. Humpty Dumpty. Beating his breast. Saying, God have mercy on me the sinner. Just have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus said, one man went home justified. It was that man. The man who had gotten to the root. See, being contrite means being at the root. Being contrite means being honest that you're crushed. Being contrite means to be childlike and to realize that your hands are dirty. When my children were little and their hands would get dirty, they would just go, uh. Think. Children don't pretend to be okay when they're not. They don't know how to yet. We'll teach them. But they don't know how to yet. They just go, uh, that's, that's at the root. That's where God lives. He lives in the highest heaven, and he lives with your broken child. And here's the contrast. We didn't read it in our passage, but it's from it's from Isaiah, it's Isaiah 57, verse 10. It's part of this section of Scripture. Listen to this, and it's just so convicting and beautiful. You were wearied in the length of your way. In other words, he's preaching to the people, and he said, you were going, you were going, you were going, and you were trying to do it yourself. You were wearied, but in, and you were miserable. This is so amazing. You kept grinding through life, trying with the next promotion or the next thing or the next escape, something. You were grinding and you were weary. But you didn't say it's hopeless. The contrites say it's hopeless. They say their attempts are hopeless. This is why Christianity is so offensive. There are a lot of religions that you could go do that, that, would, that would not make you go to the root. But you didn't say it was hopeless. And you found new life for your strength. And so you were not faint. In other words, you kept put, you were Humpty Dumpty, kept putting yourself back together again over and over and over again. And you kept going and you kept going, refusing to bend the knee and to say it's hopeless. Why do you think AA is so attractive to people? Alcoholic Anonymous? You ever heard people say that's the most they've ever felt church is in AA? <laughs> I've been, to, I've been to recovery meetings of all different stripes. As, as part of being, a, as a participant, I've been, I've been in all of them, okay? Watched them, been in them. And here's what's so beautiful about it. They just go like, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted to all kind of stuff. Yeah. The reason it's so beautiful is because they're not lying about their brokenness. Revival is when you stop lying. About being broken. That scares some of y'all to death. It's kind of scary initially, isn't it? 
Because what if people found out? Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. We already know you're messed up. If you come to this table at the the end of the service, we know you are hopeless in yourself. You've already, you're saying it to everyone in Cool Springs at this Embassy Suites, in this room. And this isn't self-pity. Self-pity is not brokenness. And it's also not selfish pride and willpower. It's admitting that you've hit rock bottom. That's who the lowly are. Does that make sense? That's who the lowly are. It's actually really simple. It's not complicated. I had a friend who told me that he likes boxing. And he said back in the old days when a boxer would fall down, you know, that would get hit and then would hit the mat. He said the, uh, the referee sometimes would go down and he would ask the question to the boxer who was like down with like his eyeball hanging out, right? And the referee or whatever he's called would go down to him and say like, are you okay? Like that's the question. In other words, are they going to get back up? And most of the time, like unless he's like almost dead, he'll say like, yes. In other words, he's on the ground, eyeball hanging out, bleeding everywhere. He's been hit in the face numerous times by someone who looks like a Mack truck. And then he asks him the question, are you okay? Yeah, I think I'm okay. That's us. With your kids. With your addictions. With your secrets. With your physical problems. With your past. With all the junk in your life. Down on the ground. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. And here's what my friend said. You're not okay. You're KO'd. God only dwells with the KO'd, not with the okay. You were not say, you didn't say it was hopeless. Would you just say it was hopeless? Okay. That's the lowly. Here's the lowly God. But here's what's so amazing, and even a paradox, a seeming apparent paradox, is that the lowly God is transcendent. This is, we're at the second point now. The lowly God is actually transcendent. So he's in one sense, he's infinitely, I will say this unspeakably, without category, beyond the human race. We're completely, when I say we are not in his league, it truly is the greatest understatement I could possibly make. We're not even the same as him in any way, shape, or form. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He created, the, mo- the kids, my kids' favorite, the question that kids ask, who made God? You ever heard of that one? Who made God? Who made God? That's a great question. And the reason it's a great question actually is like, should be like the starting point for all theological discovery. Who made God? He just was. And the kids are like, what? If that doesn't kind of freak you out, you're not listening to me. He has always been. In fact, when he gives his name to Moses, he said, Moses said like, who Shall I tell them, sent me, what is your name? And he just says, I am. Okay. That's a verb. That just means this. I was. I'm perfect. I've never grown or learned anything. He stands outside of time. He looks at the first day of history and the last day of history as one event. He's transcendent. Holy, holy, holy is his name. 
We're not in this league. But where do we see this lowly God and both of these things, the high, the high and holy one who inhabits eternity and the lowliness brought together? Because that's where the juice is, people. It's both of those things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Jesus of Nazareth. I think Jesus loved this passage. I think he was meditating on it. Or he was paraphrasing it when you go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. He said, no one knows the Father except me, and no one reveals the Father except me. And he goes, come to me, all who are weary and burdened and burned out and KO'd, and I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll revive your soul. I'll renew your soul. In other words, I'm totally out of your league, and I'm going to China. Do you see? And so we see this one time at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration because they literally don't know what to call it. The word transfiguration is just like pulled out of the sky, like he's transfigured. In other words, his appearance completely changed on this mountain with his disciples. In other words, Jesus is saying like, let me show you what I look like in my hometown. You want to see something? Boom. <laughs> Listen to this. I love Mark's uh, description of it. He said his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. He's just grasping at straws. Like I don't even know what to say. He looked like lightning. His clothes became lightning. And then there appeared to him Elijah and Moses. What? And they were talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses are the two heroes of the Old Testament. Moses is the lawgiver. Like, he is the biggest guy. He's the hall of fame. This is the hall of fame of the Old Testament. Moses. Moses. And then Elijah, the prophet. The law and the prophets right there with Jesus. He looks like lightning. What's going on? And then Peter says this. I love this. Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. <laughs> Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then verse 6 is one of my favorite passages in the entire New Testament. For he did not know what to say. <laughs> in other words, Jesus is like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> just shush. <laughs> we need to like just, in other words, Peter knew that what was happening was something that no human being had ever seen before, which was the glory of God on that mountain. Because it didn't say Moses and Elijah looked like lightning. No, only Jesus and a voice came from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am very pleased. And then it said, boop. Then Jesus was totally like himself again. Wearing his regular clothes, his work clothes, and it said they went down the mountain. Because Jesus loves the lowly. Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, burnouts, abused. So not able to deal with your problems and your sins. Come to me prisoners and addicts and people who were made fun of and people who were beaten and spat upon. Come to me because I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Now think about this for a second. No one's badder than Jesus. Nobody. 
fact, that the glory cloud, the clouds that were showing up at the Mount of Transfiguration, the reason they were, it says terrified. Terrified. You ever seen grown men terrified? First century fisher. Can you imagine how scary someone had to be for Peter to be terrified? Well, maybe not Peter. Maybe some of the other ones. Terrified. Why? Because the glory clouds in the Old Testament were the last things you saw before you died. Now think about this. In our world, the people who are the most powerful, the most glorious, the people who have the most action, the most gravitas, they're not gentle and lowly of heart. They're intimidating. They're unapproachable. They're Instagrammed. You can't ever get to them. And Jesus said, I'm gentle, I'm gentle for you. I'm gentle for you. And really broken people need a really, really gentle God who's the king of the universe. I'm gentle for you. Gentle. How many men have you heard describe, describe themselves as gentle? Y'all thought about that for a second? I grew up in Arkansas. That wasn't a trait that we would uh, advertise growing up in Arkansas. By the, by the time you could walk, you were given a shotgun. Right? Gentle. So much power. Infinite power. That is expressed through gentleness. Why do y'all think the prostitutes and the abused and the lepers and the people who are at the bottom, why do you think children were jumping into his arms and touching him and grabbing him and calling out to him? And the widows and the orphans were clinging onto his clothes and the disciples said, get away. He's like, no, no, bring them all to me. Why? It's because he was so gentle, so gentle. He is so gentle right now through the power of the Spirit. Right now for your darkest place. That's where he is. You're not there. He is. You're not there. You want to be close to Jesus? you got to get close to you. That's how it works. That's actually really reformed to encourage some of you very PCA folks in here. That's how Calvin starts the Institutes. True knowledge of self brings true knowledge of God, and true knowledge of God brings true knowledge of self. They're like two sides of one coin. You can't know Yahweh unless you know you and how much you need Yahweh. Because if you don't know your need for Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know your need for him, he ain't hanging out with you, to use an Arkansas phrase. You aren't friends. Because as long as it's not hopeless, as long as you got it, you will not know the lowly God because he goes to China. He goes to the orphanage. That's where he is. He's, at your, he's in your saddest memory. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Do you know what lowly of heart means? The exact translation of that, what that actually means? I'm not a snob. That's what that means means I'll have no pretense. Y'all, Jesus was the kindest, most approachable man that ever lived. And he is Yahweh. He is the I Am. And he is the most approachable. He wasn't a snob. Think about it. Think about celebrities for just a second. We're in Nashville. Let's think about celebrities. I'm not saying all of them. 
But there's some pretense going down. Can I just say that? Among friends? Extremely intimidating. You're not invited to the Nashville party by the powerful people. It's the opposite of the kingdom of God. I'm not a snob. I'll ask you this question before we go to our last point. Where are you looking for God? His heart is moving in the opposite direction of this city. I want you to think about your story. I want you to think about your life right now, even though we go through seasons of ups and downs, like I said. You're probably looking in the wrong place for peace in life. Peace, peace to those who are far and near. It's real. Are you look, you're looking for peace and flourishing in your own ability, in your own self-help project, and God wants you to cancel it today, cancel it, and cancel it tomorrow a hundred times, of every attempt to fix the root. He fixes the root. The one direction we don't look because we look forward in our promotion, our ability to make life work, and our success and our gift mix. We look forward. We look into the future and say, one day, one day I'll get to a place where everything will be okay. We look out there, our grass is greener. Or we look backwards and say, what happened to me and how can I place it back and who's to blame? And they're ba- there are good things about both directions. The problem is they won't go to the root. We look to the right and to the left at comparing ourselves to other people and envying those people and competing with those people. The one direction we don't look, this is what's amazing, the one direction we don't look is down. And the Christ has always been down there. The manger, the cross, the tomb. Calvin said he goes so low, even below our hell, to lift us up to his heaven. Where are you looking? Down? Revival is down. It's not up. It's not out. It's not back. It's not side to side. It's down. It's at the most broken version of you. So what? Throw out last point. We'll close. Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Inner Life of Love, The Inner Voice of Love, where you are most human, most yourself, weakest, there Jesus lives Bringing your fearful self home is bringing Jesus home. Where you are most human, most yourself, weakest there Jesus is, bringing your fearful self home is bringing Jesus home. And so what does that mean? It means stop lying about your sin. The cross means we can be radically honest. Stop rationalizing it. Stop and just stare it straight in the face. And admit how messed up you actually are. Your temper, your lust, your jealousy, all the stuff. Like going down means to actually need the gospel. Revival starts with confession. Radical confession. Not looking, well, I'm not as bad as this person, not as bad as that person. Radical confession where you just say like, I am shocked with how depraved I actually am. If you sink into that place and you feel the spirit sink into that place where you actually are honest about the things that you think about, if you actually are honest about those things, it feels like you're dying, but you're actually coming alive. Because when you sink down to that place, 
You have nothing left to prove. You do become like the criminal on the cross. And you experience grace like John Newton. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I maybe said this before. Maybe when I preached here last time. But folks, remember, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You think, a wretch? You know what a wretch is? K.O. This is what a wretch is. We've sung it a million times. They played it like every barbecue 4th of July thing ever, right? Saved a wretch like me. A wretch is the most miserable, KO'd human being, right? Wretch. At the bottom, KO'd. Let me tell you, if you're just sort of half a wretch, grace is half amazing. Stop lying about it and be the person God says you are. Here's, here's the illustration. This is it. Have you ever watched Antiques Roadshow? Yes, the answer is yes. You said it with like shame and hesitation. <laughs> so it's just we're friends here. It's okay. You can admit, guys, to watching Antiques Roadshow. Um, but I like Antiques Roadshow, and there's one example. There's, there's an illustration, and this fits it perfectly. Someone brought in, and they always want it to be way, you can tell they're really always disappointed with how much it is. Do you ever notice that? They're always disappointed, like, oh, oh, that's wonderful. It's $1,200. And like, um, but they brought in this, like, side table. And it was kind of like a cream color. They brought the side table in. It was like it had been their great-great-grandmother's. And so they bring it in, and the person was really, really excited about it. And it was designed and crafted and built by this very important person. I don't remember his name. And it was from, like, the 1700s. It was just crazy, nice, and all these things. And this person was very proud of it. They were, like, in Topeka, Kansas or something. And they were looking down at the thing. And the person said, well, this is really nice. Uh, this is beautiful. And they talked about the features and who did it and where they lived and all these things. This person knows everything about it, right? The expert knows everything about it. And looking at it, he goes, but let me ask you a question. Did you, um, has this been painted? And they're like, yeah. It tells, it seems like it's been painted several times. And if you look over here, this, um, this has been repaired. It's a, it's a repair. This, they use this and this. This has been repaired. You know, had you not painted it, it'd be worth four times as much as this. They were like, oh, yeah, it just needed the old, rustic, honest, KO'd finish. That gives it. That's what makes it so wonderful and beautiful. Y'all, do you want to be a minute? Do you want to be used by God in the world? Be yourself and surrender in his love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the honor of preaching this. Use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.